That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Yeah, I know. Because I can't get right. This is cutthroat. This prose has words spot from a snub nose. This Kurt meant skur and not give a fuck mode. Because I can't get right. Because I can't get right. Hey, this is Can't Get Right with uh, me, Kurt Metzger, and uh, I have this hat on because I'm cold uh, in my place. Uh, I know it's cold today. It's not like a, a Tim Pool thing I'm doing or anything and or a conspiracy hat, but uh, we are, uh, are going to get into a lot of weird shit because I got Steve Boykin in. Did I get it, Steve? That's, we'll 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 roll with it. We'll roll with it. Yes, <laughs> what sir. is the way? What is the right way? No, 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 right. Is that poikin in? It's but a P, not a B. It's okay. It's weird. Oh, I in. Yeah, I I mumble, so that's probably where a lot of that comes from. Oh, I from. thought it was poikin in, but it's poikin uh, in. I'm I'm glad to be here for the start of your temple arc. It's not a t- it's just cold. I'm gonna take this off. It's just very cold in this. I don't know how to all right. <laughs> I don't want to wear a full sweatshirt though. Is Listen, there going to be a fake swatting while while I'm on? It looks like yeah, awesome. there's going to be a fake swatting coming. That's what this whole thing looks like. I realize that. But oh, usually, oh, also Aaron Day, an honest to gosh lobbyist, in case you hadn't. I met Aaron on the road and then I forgot he gave me his, uh, oh, I forgot to save his number because he was going to tell me all about lobbying. And then I bumped into again when I did Rogan in Austin. Uh, you know about lobbying, Steve? Familiar with it, yes, sir. I've heard of it, but I don't know what they fucking do. It's like a producer. I'm in a producer's guild. Couldn't tell you why. <laughs> Couldn't tell you why. No idea what I did. I think I worked on a job where it was, for some reason, financially better to say I'm a producer and not a writer because of, like, guild shit. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I got Steve Boykin in from, at the last minute, uh, because uh, from, uh, what is it, Pasta in the Morning? What's your guys' show? AM Wake Up. Oh, it's not even close to positive. Yeah. But yeah. you were well, I mean, he's on and it's in the morning, so yeah, I could see. Am I just really calling it that? Yeah, I'm gonna start coming on Wednesdays, dude. I I uh I was at a roast all night and I was too hungover to to come to the uh yeah yeah don't to don't. the morning show. I apologize, but okay. and then uh, Mike. Uh, anyway, all right. So I'm getting ahead of things. So uh, Aaron, the, the usually the original premise of this podcast was I would begin every podcast by apologizing for the last podcast, you know, and also future podcasts. And uh, but I got nothing to apologize for because this is gonna be a great show. And last show was great when Steve was here and we did uh, "Are You Hot?" We did an impromptu "Are You Hot?" judging of the FTX uh, kid and, and his uh, the goblin girl he was with. <laughs> and we were pretty fair. I think we were pretty fair. I and I think we, uh, we didn't give just regular scores. We also gave Adderall curve. Like if you're whacked out on Adderall, how much? And the numbers got a lot higher. I'll tell you what. So, uh, nothing to apologize. Sorry for doing the best show ever last week, I guess, is my apology. There you go. All right. And I'm sorry for this hat this week. I already know it's going to be a thing. I, I don't know. But I, I didn't read the comments. Um, all right. So, Aaron, 
because you started texting me on the phone about this lobbying stuff. And it was about uh, the deal with legalizing weed. You had a whole thing that sounded very interesting that, that uh, I want to let you get into. I could read the text, but do you remember what, what it was you were oh, telling yeah. me? No. Uh, and please, I'm a neophyte at all this. So if sound gets weird or whatever, interrupt me. But this is a... I don't care about your sex life, dude. I just want... Okay. No, I'm just... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know what words um... mean. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Well, no, I was just I was telling you that uh, uh, you know one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you is because the way the lobby works or the way the process works is not how everybody thinks it does. It's like yeah, you know, there's a there's there's a whole thing and a whole perspective, and and I kind of came to it from, you know, I wasn't in this world, and I was actually an activist, and an activist much, for what? Uh, for libertarian ideas and anti-war okay. and then you got like, into lobbying from that well yes indirectly like by happenstance uh baby needed a new pair of shoes you know when my son yeah. came along i needed a way back uh to a, a career and a, a guy hired me uh who was my good friend that i studied with and he'd spent his life in the capital in austin i'd avoided it because i was in the ivory tower uh and i did not want to tempt myself it's kind of like the same reason why i didn't do cocaine it was like gonna you know, match my personality to wait. Much. So that so, being an activist was an ivory tower compared to being a lobbyist, or you just mean in terms of moral well, feelings? Yeah. 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 Moral feelings. Like I went, I went to school like down the road from the Texas Capitol, but I never, sorry, no worries. And I never stepped foot in it because I was like, you know, I'm going to get sucked into that world. And my, I'm in the ivory tower. I'm all philosophical about everything. And so it was just some sense of irony that years later, I do end up getting in there professionally. So the reason why I mention all that background is because I've always had the eye of kind of a sleeper cell sort of mentality going into the lobby. Uh, okay. I had to develop a profession. I had a, a kid on the way. I had to figure something out. Um, and so I had this opportunity and I went from the Libertarian Party to lobbying for a city government, a large okay. city in Texas. So, so it's kind of like I literally went from the Libertarian paycheck to the taxpayers paying my salary. So what's better? Testing. What's a better paycheck? Um neither one of them were that great, but, but uh, so <laughs> really, but, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but my point in that is that I've kind of kept the approach of always like, okay, you know, usually you're in one world or the other. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and so, and, and also in terms of my ivory tower, I mean, you have, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, all the ivory tower thoughts of the perfect world that's in your head. And now you got to govern, you got to work for a government. You got to understand how this works and actually defends its policies and everything. So it sounds so anyway, like becoming a cop is what it sounds like. Wait, hold well, on. So ivory yeah. tower, just so we're all clear. Cause yeah. I kind of like know the metaphor of ivory tower, but I always just think of it as like somebody who's like high society. Like, and you're talking about ivory tower, like it's a, uh, like an educational kind of thing, like almost. intellectual in the your your heads in the right. intellectual clouds, you know, okay. not the real world, not on the ground. Yeah, right. Know? Which, of course, is a critique of libertarianism, right? We always, you know, we philosophize about the perfect world. That yeah, right. That that the rubber doesn't meet the road on. Anyway, I give you all that background to kind of give you the perspective that I go into this, and and um, <clears throat> and what I've learned over the years, you know, having to test my own theories, and you know, and to be a human, uh, adult human with kids and a mortgage and all that and all those, how you navigate that process and keep your soul, but also learn about the process. So a lot of background to say, I've been dying to talk to you uh, and, and others, because I'm part of the kind of subculture of malcontents that you're in. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
And, and there, I'm always kind of screaming at my phone of there is a, there's a, a third leg of the stool of all of us that are frustrated out there. And that's understanding the process. Right? Yeah. Right. That, that, you know, and the closest thing to that, the laity, if you will, getting the process and wanting to do something with it was doors force the vote. Oh, right. right. You know, yeah, that right. Was a very so just technical... for our listeners, the Jimmy, Jimmy door show that I do, uh, he, uh, he had a thing way back. I guess this is what AOC promised to do and a bunch of people. Now, I never have faith in none of these people, but I guess Jimmy did or, you know, he gave him a shot. And they were all talking about doing this thing where they were going to force a vote on Medicare for all. And probably it wouldn't win, but Nancy Pelosi would be forced to bring it up. And it was just, and, and, uh, as everybody's playing, I mean, all these people are running for all. like, that's what we got to do. They, I think it's in the Netflix documentary of AOC, Knock Down the House. Did you ever see that? She's going to knock down the house. And uh, then all of a sudden, like, no, you can't do that. Kevin McCarthy will become the Speaker of the House. I heard that. This is before I really was on Jimmy's show, even. I would hear that. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know who the, who the fuck Kevin McCarthy is. He sounds must be the worst if he became the Speaker. And he's worse than Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> he must be the devil. And uh, by the way, now that I think the Democrats are offering to help him become Speaker of the House, by the way, quick update on that story. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy started to get something going, right? And all these people were like, I'm not supporting that or, or actively trying to fuck with him uh, while he was trying to get that going. And uh, all right, so I just want to explain what force the vote was. And well, now, let, me, uh, let me put yeah. a little footnote onto that too, because they they had uh, people held some protests in Washington, D.C. for force the vote. It was right in front of the Rayburn Congressional Building, right okay. across the street from the Capitol. Um, I was there because I was in D.C. for some Julian Assange stuff. And so we sort of co-organized, uh, I think. Oh, right, I remember, you, yeah. Got talked about that. And um, and so when we were there on January 4th, um, all of maybe 55 or 60 people, we were surrounded at a two and a half to one rate by the D.C. Capitol Police in mm. a nice little horseshoe with a couple of, uh, you know, I've paddy wagons or whatever those you well they can't just stand there and let you is. they can't yeah. just stand there dude they got it what if you would storm the capitol <laughs> right so yeah 48 hours later <laughs> the capitol police across the street have a, a whole different attitude to yeah the, the, yeah and it was Ain't just, that amazing it was the wildest juxtaposition to be at both and do mm-hmm. you know see the the whole entire series of events play out well, um, and all of this dodges all you know the necessary crap that I beat Jimmy got for that. It was, well, you know what I realized? It's your guys' fault because you probably made those those police so tired they had to call out of work to get some rest when the real shit went down. Well, so you see what you did? I call I it stochastic did. terrorism myself. <laughs> Where Where's my documentary? Well, it's like I, when someone farts in church and makes people not believe in God. It's a kind of terrorism. Okay, good. So, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I had a friend that was on the north side of the Capitol when that was going on, filming at the Alex Jones stage, actually, and uh, and he saw it all go down. He saw the lack of police presence, and he was just totally you know, screaming in his head, "The Star Wars, it's a trap!" You know, moment. That's what it, that's what it looked like from 150 feet away from the Capitol on the north mm. side, at least. So. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I, the, the thing I'll kick myself if I don't, you know, get off my chest in this, the uh, chance to talk to you guys is that truly like 
there has been a uh you know the more they keep things mystical and clear the clerics you know are talking mm-hmm. in latin and you're showing up because yeah he's got, he's got gold shoes and it's a fancy building he must talk to god and he's going to tell me as soon as it gets yeah. translated into the vulgate vulgar language then suddenly everybody's having a reformation right that's what happens. that's a good way to put it yeah well also you got to burn people at the stake with their trans translated oh. bibles chained to their chest <laughs> exactly right <laughs> that also has to happen little john hughes action yeah so that's that's what uh is happening at every sector of our society we used to speak you know it was we wrote in the vulgar language when we developed the constitution. We, you know, this, the people understood this, we had town halls. It was all about accessibility and everybody being a part of the process. Nobody's doing it professionally, et cetera. But they, what they do is they Latinize every sector of our society. And, and the, yeah. first, the first thing wow, they did, a good way to put it, dude, you're right. That That's yeah. what they call the death of expertise. When the Catholic church didn't have yeah. everything just in Latin, only they could translate. That's all right. It's the death of expertise, like they exactly. say in the paper. Yeah. Death of expertise being a threat to the technocracy, right? So so yep. the first area that they did it, of course, was our financial system. You know, in the 1800s, every almost every election was over the money supply and how really? we and how we dealt with money. Yeah, you know, the Wizard of Oz was an allegory for the political argument of the money supply and and how it should be regulated. In here. It was. Is that oh, yeah. why they killed Frank Oz? No, not Frank. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I the forget. Frank Bomb. <laughs> yeah. So, Bomb. I, I yeah. <laughs> so, okay, wait. So you're talking so, about the vulgate, la, la, vulgar language, everything's being Latinized, which by the way, great point, because that's why I have a manager and an entertainment lawyer to translate a contract. I always, I always think about that, man. Like I, I have a contract and I'm like, I, I actually have to hire someone to read this because it, it's the entire thing's based around okay, I'm supposed to not trick you, but can I still trick you? And it's right. like, everybody's entering into that. And you just don't think about it, but that, why would you even need a contract? Right. It's like, look, I'm going to try to fuck you right now. And <laughs> I'm going to write it in this weird way. So you can't tell. And then all the academic language is like that. Right. I love spewing. Um, when I do uh, pussies with Kyle, I love making up my oh. own trans, Absolutely. you know, Transmasculine normative. Uh, I love just making up those gibberish words, but they all, it's like legalese. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they change it every six months. So they're the most current, but, but so the wizard of Oz. Yeah. So the um, Frank Baum was basically arguing uh, about the money supply and, and how the Eastern banking establishment was screwing over America uh, and how the banking establishment was screwing everybody over. And, and so the scarecrow, of course, um, represented the agrarian part mm-hmm. of the economy. Okay, and what did the scarecrow lack? He liked a he liked a brain. A brain. A yeah. Brain. So he had no idea how he was getting screwed. Right. Bottom line, and, and and he was getting screwed and didn't know it. He didn't have a brain. And then, of course, the tin man represents the industrial. He's the wood chopper. He's made of tin, and he represents the industrial class. Right. And what are they lacking? Uh, a heart. That's right. Wait, but they, they've had one the whole time. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> they had to be given a plastic one later by the by the wizard. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So so he, he you know, so the industrial class they're you know, the hardcore capitalists, they don't have a heart. The um, the the lion represents the regal politician. You know, the lion represents government. And of course, what do politicians lack? Their courage. Right. That's, oh. that's right. 
And so they were following the yellow brick road, which is the gold standard to what the, the, with to the Emerald city. Okay. Right. Which was green, which yeah. was the green, greenback fiat money. And in the book, they actually wear spectacles to enter the city. They had to put on spectacles that were green. So it really wasn't a green city. They Holy. had to wear spectacles to make the, give them the illusion that they were in an emerald green city. Uh, okay. I forgot about that. Okay, go ahead. So, so then, of course, there's the wizard behind the curtain. We all understand that metaphor, right? And he's just you know, well, just say it anyway right. in case in case. Well, I, I mean, you know, of course, the wizard, but the wizard behind the curtain was the uh, the the yellow brick, the gold standard, which allowed the Eastern banking establishment to hoard gold, which actually was deflationary at the time. So they were okay. choking out the farmers and they were choking out, uh, they, they were choking out the farmers in middle America, basically, uh, with, with hoarding gold, but that was leading, but they were also pushing for the Emerald city, which is the fiat currency. Then it's up to the wizard and he can do whatever he wants through whatever fakery and chicanery, um, he wants to engage in and it's all manipulation and it's all fake. It's a Okay, hold on. Curtain. I have to I have to ask this. Now you're not saying the wizard is the Jews, I hope. Is that no, no, no. <laughs> this is not leading towards that. I like um, a lot um, of gold yeah. talk and a lot <laughs> I am saying it's the International Monetary Fund, and I yeah. am saying it's the International Bank. Well, of you know, and, but, well, but I'm not what's, saying. what's interesting is because uh, people always say, you know. Oh, you saying that thing about Latinizing things? That's a very interesting, because I thought it was the Knights Templar that really invented banking back in the day. That's why that king had them all killed with fake sh charges, right? right? And um, it's like in Hollywood or just a lot of like, or some people go, he was my rabbi that helped me get into so and so, you know, like I, I wanted to make a movie and this guy was my rabbi. I don't know, but I think it's more like he was my priest. I don't think it is Jewish. Oh, I think well, it's old school Catholic sounding more than Jewish. I'll give you well, we'll put a marker in this uh, uh, rabbit trail to go down is the God's banker about uh, the Vatican was the major yeah drug money mafia money uh, laundering organization throughout the 20th century. And, yeah right. Uh, yeah. So, but here's the kicker and the punchline on the Wizard of Oz stuff is that. Technicolor needed the red shoes, right? Looked better, but in the book, mm -hmm. they're silver. Oh. And and the way she got back home, the way Dorothy gets home is it was on her feet the whole time. Free coinage of silver, loosen up the money supply by allowing free coinage of silver. That's way so give some oxygen to the farmers out there in Middle America. Okay, and, and so so my point in this, aside from being so they know, became ruby for the blood of those farmers instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The blood of Hollywood spilling over. <laughs> and and uh so but the point is people knew about this stuff, right? They 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 ran on this stuff, you know. Uh Jefferson kills the bank, then Jack Jackson kills the bank. And then we haven't had this conversation since 1915. Okay. When well, we what about when seventy, when the gold stand uh, was that with the reserve? There wasn't that? a peep about it, though. I mean, like wow. you know, people went along. I mean, uh, the yeah. people. That's what I'm saying. It was full Latin by that point, right? Oh, After, okay, okay. You know, it became Latinized in 1915, which they did the 17th Amendment, which fundamentally changed everything. It gets back to a lot of this, but and then of course the uh, income tax and the federal reserve all created within, you know, six months of each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thereabouts. Right. And so, and they're all integrated. They're all very important to uh, get Latinizing a lot of this stuff. So that's the financial sector. And what my, my big thesis of the afternoon with you, Kurt, 
is they are Latinizing our process too. People don't understand how government works anymore. And, and I don't. And, and you made the point the other day about the five hundred dollar hammer being a big deal in the eighties. Yeah, the remember that, Steve? Do you remember that the five hundred dollar? Hey, hey, Rebecca, do you ever hear of that? You're young. I have not. So did you ever see um, what's the movie where Will Smith punches an alien in the face? Independence Day. Did you ever see Independence Day? No. Oh, God damn. <laughs> well, I remember them. I remember the reference that in Independence Day because Will Smith punches or uh, Jeff Goldblum's dad is uh, the guy from Taxi. Yeah, he's like, you really think? What do you think they pay five hundred dollars for a hammer? Oh <laughs> he God, does, Judd like, Hirsch. He plays Doctor Zoidberg from uh, Futurama, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what did Judd I, Hirsch goes out of his way to be the world's biggest stereotype in that in Independence Day too. Like, it's, yeah, it's because foreigners understand that you know probably did very well in the foreign market, and uh, they understand broad. Uh, uh, like what's that nerd show that was on that sitcom? They all love that Big Bang Theory. Big Bang, yeah, it's it's yeah. international distributional. Anyway, um, uh, uh, uh okay, so, but that's but, that but, but but what I'm saying is the hammer thing used to be a big deal, right? Because we were more invested in military spending, right? We came off of yes. Vietnam. Oh, we, you know, we right. you know, we we knew yeah. we were paying attention. They've they've Latinized our military spending as well all this shit is so yeah they're no longer us. reporting on that how much we spent exactly they're, yeah now we're just not going to know from now on they've no longer putting out the numbers just like this year the year before or something yeah a hundred billion dollars ukraine that's like tea party bailout stuff that stuff used to bring people out in the streets when you have that level of spending okay so my my point is this this stuff is becoming more removed and more becoming more esoteric and being left up to the clerics and mm -hmm. and and that's by design in so many ways. And, and one thing I want to mention before I forget is if you understand the process, for example, every executive I work in state on the state level, whether it's a governor or a president, the executive office does two things. Basically, it appoints stuff and it vetoes stuff. Right. OK. Appoints people, vetoes things. And then the federal government, our president has an other special power. It's foreign policy. He or she talks to the rest of the rest of the world and represents us and decides, you know, uh, the middle road foreign policy, not supposed to decide war. Of course, that's, you know, that's changed. But but uh, my point is foreign policy is the most important thing, probably like 60, 70, 80 percent of this job that we're hiring this person for. We had two national debates. The second debate was supposed to be on foreign policy. So me, the nerd that I am, I'm like, okay, I'm going to finally pay attention. I haven't listened to one Trump speech, you know, in four years of him being president, but I'm going to, I'm going to tune in because it's foreign policy night. I'm excited. The nerd in me, mm. you know, foreign policy night finally, because I know this is relevant to what this guy actually does. And one of these two gentlemen are going to be responsible for, right? You're going to F some P tonight. Yeah, I, <laughs> completely. I was ready to F some P. I was, and, and, uh, I was primed up, ready to go. And the, uh, then at the last minute, they announced we're changing the topics. We are going to remove foreign policy from the topic. The first half of the debate was supposed to be foreign policy. We're going to allow for the subject of masks. And they debated for that 30 minutes masks instead of foreign policy, which punchline kicker. The president have absolutely no authority over. Oh, that's right. Wait, why not? I didn't know that. Why? Because he he remember he got elected. He said, "Yeah, let's have the national mask mandate." And he's like, "I can't do that." 
Oh, we that's debated right. it for 30 minutes, but I have no authority to do that. Biden, who's chosen all types of authorities he doesn't have, yeah. he couldn't get there. Oh, I and, forgot and, about and that part. So we argued about what the president didn't have authority over for 30 minutes, basically a quarter of the entire debates, which is what we're supposed to watch. Right. And that's supposed to, do, you know, how we make. I think decisions. you're not supposed to watch it. I think you fucked up by watching it. And yeah, I think that was what you're supposed to do is let like, you know, whatever. I don't know if you watch like Jimmy Kimmel or something, whatever highlights he chooses for you, <laughs> whatever uh, Colbert thinks is important for it. Yeah, wait exactly. for the SNL weekly sketch about it, and that's the, 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 the cold open get, tells me everything I need to know. But, yeah, but 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 my one fourth of our national discussion officially right through those debates was about mask, no authority. The most important job of this that we're hiring this person for is foreign policy. That is the Latinization of that's how this process happens. It gets removed from the conversation, and once it's removed from the conversation, we don't know how to have it right. I mean, you got to yeah. keep having the same conversation so you learn the new words of the week to our earlier point, right? Yeah, right. No, they, the somebody was freaking out about uh, Aleppo you know, on Twitter. Uh, well, no, no, it was some, no, some dumb just, Twitter thing. Word and, of the week. Uh, hey, guys, we got to take a quick break to talk about YoKratom.com, friend of the show, YoKratom, purveyors of fine Kratom. Do you like Kratom? Are you over 18 years of age? I am. I like Kratom. That's why I like YoKratom. They just sent me a big box of Kratom probably going to last me half a year because they send it by the kilo like you're a colombian kratom lord when I mean, kratom doesn't come from colombia it comes from indonesia but if you like kratom i would recommend going to yo kratom because they have all your favorite kratom strains amazing customer service and the best price you could do anywhere 60 dollars per kilo for some fresh green kratom of any strain i like uh their yellow mangda i actually like i got i haven't opened my i just got the box i gotta see what they sent me but i i always i'm like yo kratom please send me some more free kratom i mean what am i cheap i could just spend 60 dollars for the kilos but i feel because i advertise that i should have it sent to me but if i wasn't advertising it i'd pay six dollars a kilo because that's a much better deal than buying it in a goddamn smoke shop so if you're over the age of 21 and into kratom go to yo kratom Dot com home of the $60 kilo and the official sponsor of can't get right and get yourself a kilo man yo kratom.com sorry Here, wait let me let me find the thing because it made me laugh when i saw this um okay so some guy i don't know if he's what jimmy's tweeted but some guy said i don't understand this notion that twitter is free speech right-wingers love going to church can they say whatever they want over there no because they also have conditions so I just happened to see this. Now I've gone my way not to go on Twitter, but that's too sweet of a thing. And I was like, "Yeah, dude, that it was church for shit libs, and now it's being desecrated because deplorables are allowed to fart in the church. Like they're yeah. they're they're letting them fart in our church, and like it's so bizarre in Vatican, like the whole thing. And they're all like, "What you put on when we tell you to put it on? You get the amount of boosters we tell you. Don't question the science. Like it's fucking Jesus Christ. It's amazing." It is. It is. You can take the people out of the the people out of religion, but you can't take the religion out of the people. We are hardwired for religion, and that's why, with the climate change and the party stuff and the the COVID stuff and all these things, if you grew up in a religion, which I know you did, right? That 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 you could see through. They, it we predicted well. in my religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, we predicted roughly the same end of the world. We didn't know the exact date, mm -hmm. but about the same as climate change. If I had to 
have at the parallel of climate change is going to end the world and Jehovah's Witnesses saying the world's about to end any minute, they're pretty much the same timeline. <laughs> any minute now, it's all over. And, uh, you know, gradually, I used to joke about it, about how, because uh, I didn't grow up with this stuff or give a shit about who's president. Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're in God, the world, not of it. Yeah. And I, I thought God was going to kill all of you. And it's right. awkward for me now to be here <laughs> with you, not dead. And, uh, I didn't when people when Trump got in and people I was in New York and they were acting like it's the end of the world and I was like well they say that but uh, get your teeth fixed anyway don't put it off until uh, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Armageddon because it might could be longer than you think <laughs> take take your canoe not the helicopter uh, but yeah the uh, the the fact is you know well our end of the world a part of the our end of the world's coming true today it was it happened during the trucker deal because uh, I was raised Pentecostal, and of course, when you can't buy or sell, uh, I mean the truckers must. This must have been a born again meltdown oh. of epic. Well, truckers, <laughs> do you know the amount of Jack Chick <laughs> comics distributing people are truckers? <laughs> I was. But, uh, I mean, it I sounds like it. Pentecostal light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's okay. that? Um, Church of God. You you can't. You still can't dance. But like uh, Ben Avery. Ben Avery, yeah. I thought was Church of Christ, and he said there was. He went. I went to Footloose Church, and I and I didn't know he meant literally. Is that what the that Baptists is? Baptists are that too. The Baptists Baptist. are like that too. The Church of God, like there's an offshoot that does snake handling that we weren't that cool, but we still had like the tent revival thing once a year. And uh, you didn't uh, dance no in the dancing? tent revival. That was you a big part of no, Pentecostal. No, the, no man, my version no, of it. No, this holy no roller dancing. was tambourines and dancing in the. Uh, no, sounds a little no bit dancing. black to me. Yeah. That's didn't oh, they that's split true. that convention so they couldn't have to hang out with black people? <laughs> like, wasn't that the original schism? Well, I think well, the Holy Roller version of Pentecostal we called it Pentecostal, it was more similes of God, which kind of did a bank shot from the West Coast. But but I think mm. the but the Southern tradition, I think, was black, uh Southern mm-hmm. religion that that spilled over into the white population because a lot of it's kind of West African and its approach to things too. Well, know? but I like, thought that they actually it was called the Southern Baptist Convention or something. There was an actual yeah. like yes, yeah, and that yeah. was over segregating. I, as far as I know, I could be off, I but I could I could have swore I just read something about it. But uh, and you no, know, it's then where it, you got your first and your Southern Baptists. Um, yeah, probably yeah. Then you know, that's probably why Elvis was so devastating with his hip motions uh, <laughs> and his uh, uh, gospel sounding. Yeah. Um, it's uh, culturally over the last 30, 40 years, the same energy that's gone into traditional religion, spiritual belief systems, whatever, all of that's been pushed into the state, whether it's from academia or whether it's from media or whether it's from entertainment, it doesn't matter. They've just taken the energy that we all basically. Yeah, have. no, I, I say this over and over again until people are bored and want me to stop, but I believe you. And, but I almost call it more of, although I didn't consider this Vatican thing that Aaron said until just now, but. I was like, people say it's religious. It's almost an anti-religion is how I looked at it, like an anti-hero or something. We're like, because the Jehovah's Witness, you're like, hey, what do you guys believe? Uh, Whatever. We would be like delighted to tell you all about it at length. Whereas when this horse shit started, you know, the real fucking bullshit, like dripping out of academia started trickling down to the dumb-dumb classes through internet. They were like, and I, I had never heard some of the nonsense things that are pretty common to hear now. When I and I heard them first, other people didn't believe me. When I'd be like, "Do you know what, what's coming out?" And they're like, "No, it's not like that." Because I think they just assumed it was silly college kids were going to grow up and you know boomer out and uh, 
and they did, but they kept, <laughs> they kept all the grossest. And, but the thing they would go, I don't have time to educate you. You don't have time. I did change my entire modality for you, but you don't have time to tell me why. Go, okay. I'll read it. And I read all this shit. Well, Catholics aren't evangelical. I think That's it takes right. that old world structure. You're talking. You're, I didn't think of that. Because uh, I'm firmly from a, a yeah. unconscious bias of a Protestant derived uh, thing. Evan- that's right. Or yeah. Trained yeah. to spread the word. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yours is, this is like fucking Catholic, this shit. You're right it's about the, that. It's the cathedral. That's why I'm, I think that's such a great, I got that from Smith and malice and everything talking about it in terms of the cathedral. I think that's a apt. That's the what way we're talking I get about. Describe in regular media is that it's like anti-Semitic. And the funny thing is it's uh anti-papist. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So basically, basically what Aaron is doing here is confirming everyone's Jesuit conspiracy theories today. (laughs) So you could put the beanie back on, Kurt. That was not a, that was a (laughs) koofy. That was a, yeah, I forgot to tell you guys, I I believe ISIS is our last defense against uh, intersectional feminism. I I don't know if you guys want to, I should have (laughs) notified you what you were being a part of, but. (laughs) I was already growing out the beard. I lobby for ISIS myself. I don't know. <laughs> they've been doing great work with America and Syria, and I think that they've really turned it around. And uh, <laughs> I said this on Rogan. I'm like, is it cool of is Islamic radical terrorists to just stop? That was nice of them. Yeah, right. That was that was I, the number one fear of of. <laughs> of all, I'm still taking my goddamn shoes off like they didn't stop. But they did the, stop. Remember now, the, pe- yeah. the peace dividend. No, Remember it's the peace, uh, oh, right after 1989, 1990, when Clinton first got elected, we're like, how are we going to spend the peace dividend? We've been spending all this money on the Cold War. Now we're not going to have to spend money on on defense. But that sounds like um, they called it the peace that your, just your money from your taxes. Well, that's right. That's right. But the, but but the point <laughs> is, is at one time, Americans thought war was not perpetual. In fact, that was in our lifetime. In fact, it was in the early 90s. I do remember that because they were like, well, from now on, it's going to just be forever. And I remember that right during Iraq. That's the thing. And you're like a naive fool if you thought that there should be an end to this at any point. And uh, and then, yeah. Well, and there's a cycle to this, too, because I remember I was, you know, I'm like an anti-Clinton person, the way someone that came of age in the 70s is anti-Nixon, you know, just kind of because I was that age. Right. And Mm -hmm. and. Um, but I just remember at the time going, man, I wish we had the cold war back because they turned the enemy on the American. Suddenly it was all about militias and the right wing. And I wish and we so had it, the radical Islamics back. That came well, right. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Nerds are the enemy <laughs> after nine 11. It was like, Ooh, thank God they're, they're moving away from middle America. They're pointing their guns outward again. And then of course, I mean, oh, right. and then now but before, pointed- yes, I forgot about that. That was all the Waco shit and all that yep. before. Yep. And that's yep. the last time it was ho- about, I, I, I looked up around 2011. I was just, cause it was always debates about Islamic terrorism, you know, that's or maybe later than that. It was when Sam Harris fucking noted notable genius. Sam Harris got in a fight with uh, Ben Affleck on Bill Maher, whatever the fuck that was. I thought Ben Affleck sounded like it. And how Ben Affleck was stupid but he was right, but he was stupid because he was calling it racism. Cause he, if you're not religious, not religious people don't understand religion. It's bigoted to say someone's Muslim and the mother, but it's not racist, Ben. That's the dumb part, mm-hmm. but that's how people, I, I don't know. Secular people it's, just, they'll never get their head around. Right. But even though they have so many of them. <laughs> so 
but he was right about what a crazy thing. And, and then I went back because after hearing Sam Harris's recent stupid shit that fell out of his dumb face, I was like, was he ever smart? And I, and I look back, and I'm like, oh, no, he was always kind of a jag off. Yeah, he used big words and he spot, you know, he spoke slowly like he was smart. Yeah, he, yeah, sincerely, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. He had a very yeah. earnest look on his face deep in his yeah. eyes when he said whatever. That, um, he was that like pattern that you were describing, Aaron, where there's, you know, the they had the guns on us for a while and then this something happened. And I mean, Steve does look out. like someone that should be cat and I kept on. I mean, let's be fair to our. <laughs> Let's be fair to the security state. I mean, if you have a uh, profile, I'm not going to answer any more questions for the rest of the show. But I will. I will tell some more stories. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but that's that's something that you see throughout U.S. history, where yeah. we can we can really walk it back like step by step. Because even though the Cold War was going on, they were still uh, cracking down on uh you know what uh gangs started in the the gang crackdown started in the 80s we had the guns in vietnam when the guns weren't in vietnam they were on the black panthers or they were on the hippies that's right that's when the drive-bys a little bit further were in korea right but you're still kind of the domestically not only are you clearing out the rest of the asians that you didn't get in the last couple of wars but you're also running through uh, any other minority that you can, because it's just that era. World War II happens, the guns are pointed away. With been the intermittent time, all of the guns are pointed at home. They're destroying every union movement that ever existed in the 30s. They're, uh, cl- you know, clearing out Civil and rights. squeezing out and depopulating people through the Depression and stuff like that. All of this uh, from really uh, about the the end of the Civil War. Just every 10 to 15 years, there's this exact same scenario repeating as the empire gets bigger, the targets at home grow. So now it's not just blacks. It's not just Asians. It's not just it's all of us. It's not just the people that look like me or my relatives or whatever. But it's like, you know, nerds are on the list now. People who share a Twitter link can be a domestic, you know, an information terrorist. Or what an yeah, info terror. Stop terrorizing me, Steve. <laughs> I did. I sent you a link. Oh crap! That oh happened. yeah, w- I did. Wait. I'm going to show you guys this info terror Steve sent me too because it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, hold on. But yeah, I mean that's that's the U.S. history pattern. That's just how that's gone. So at that point, you have to ask yourself: Is this just dumb luck, or is this an intentional thing? You um, know, I, I used to be a conspiracy yeah. theorist. Now I'm just a specialist in coincidences because mm-hmm. they're fascinating. Yeah. And they happen all over the place constantly. And yeah. they all end up with the same people get more powerful and the same people get more rich. It's just the most. Yeah, well, if you're in position, study is the most amazing study. If you guys want to. If you're in the right position, Mark, that's why you got to cobble up market share if you want to get big, because then when the shit happens, you're always in the right position, you know, and then when you're really good at it. You can start speculating on what kind of positions you'll be in the future and do a whole bunch of studies and project it outward and then try to make it conform to that, which is what we get. That, that's that Vegas thing of, you know, they project how every degenerate gambler, what they're going to spend in a lifetime. And, and I like it never would have occurred to me, like, although obviously it should, like, you don't think they're doing that at every level of everything, just projecting if you, my fucking phone now when I leave my house tells me I abandoned my laptop somewhere which turns out to be at my house. 
like I get a me- an emergency message and I'm like, you know, my laptop is at my house where I leave it. And, uh, also I didn't hook, a, I didn't ask my phone and laptop to do this. I don't even know why the fuck they are. I've never tried to pair them or even hook them up in any way. Uh, but they talk behind my back now and my laptop lies about me and says I abandoned it. <laughs> so is your laptop the whore in this situation or is it your phone? I don't trust either of them. I think they're conspiring against me. And then clearly add to that fact, there's a goddamn U2 album on my phone for the last seven years that I didn't ask for right. like phone aids that if you look it up, you can't get it off your phone without like contacting Apple and having a full bone marrow transplant. That's a, <laughs> um, anyway, that's so that's just to like, you know, it's like the shit is so planned on just that level. Like, Oh, we're your phones and your computer to talk without you. We don't even need you to care about anything. And then the, the, you see the new Mercedes, there's a guy Lou, Lou Rossman that talks about laptop repair. He has a lot of good shit about how shitty Apple is with their proprietary screws and all that. And he had a repair shop. So people could go to the genius bar and get price gouged for like thousands of dollars for shit that he could fix for like enraging, enragingly lower prices than that. And Apple purposely is allowed to just do this. It's not bad. It's already bad enough. They had fucking slaves make it, but they even have the slaves screwing in their special screws that only an Apple fucking L wrench can unscrew. I don't know what the fuck they use for it. That's just fucking allowed. No one's going to change that shitty business practice. So I'm watching his thing and the new Mercedes electronic vehicle, I guess, you know, I don't have a Tesla, but Apparently you, you pay extra like 1200 bucks or something to get the Michael to, Hastings version. What's that? The Mercedes that that'll drive itself into it. No, 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 no. Okay. To accelerate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To get the maximum acceleration speed, which I would think would just come with the car with Tesla. You got to pay a, a fee and they'll do something on the computer inside it so that it gives you that maximum acceleration speed, which people thought was pretty shitty, I guess, uh, from what I understand the Mercedes it's a fucking subscription. You're going to have to subscribe to get your zero to 60 in whatever seconds that it already can do. It's the same shit they did with video games. Oh, hold on. I got a delivery. Hey, I'll be right down. It's the same shit with video games, dude. They fucking started doing microtransactions and charge. And it's all shit I didn't care about, but I just remember randomly. And so it's a slow thing to take things to subscriptions and not, you don't own them. It's all that yeah. weird shit that the goddamn Jesus freak truckers warned me about. Yeah, and I laughed. Right. I laughed in their trucking faces. Laugh. And now, and now, now look. who's laughing? Yeah. Not me. All right, I'll yeah. be right back. I grabbed this delivery, but hold it. Family farm in the. Okay. Midwest it's all, it's all handled. It's happening. Oh, good. good. What are you guys talking about? Did I miss anything good? Monsanto farming GMO. Okay. While <laughs> I was getting this uh, package downstairs, which yes, was my watermelon white claws. Um, I realize we're still in the moat of the Vatican here. We haven't even gotten to the process you want to get to. And I, I know how to get into it because in your text, Aaron, you were saying about why marijuana doesn't get legalized because I was talking about on Rogan. So that's a good place to start. What's the okay, Latin so, of that? Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll put it in the vulgar. It's as vulgar as I can. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a, so let me start out with this observation that uh, up until Illinois like two years ago, and no, 2019, Illinois was the first legislature to legalize mar- recreational marijuana. In Illinois. 2019? In okay. 2019. It so, was? Oh, Wait, really? So let okay. that sink in for a second. Think about that from a process standpoint. I don't need a prescription. Is that what that means? No, 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 no. I, I mean, 
every state that legalized recreational marijuana was by issue and referendum. It was by the voters. There wasn't a single legislature that had the ability to pass that bill. Okay, why? So that's that's my point. Is the game theory the way legislatures work? It is very hard. Well, the the short version is, if I if I vote for a marijuana bill, okay, I'm not going to get anything. I'm just doing the right thing. But there's not there's no lobby on the other side of it. There's there's no constituency that's going to pat me on the back. There's no celebration. I just did the right thing in that moment, right? But if I do the right thing, then I'm because it's such a charged issue. Am I going to invite the 5% of my district or just the two really loud people in my district that are going to raise holy hell on me and send in flyers with big marijuana leaves to in my primary if you're a Republican or, you know, whatever, is that what they do? Hell. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely. like burning a cross, but they put yeah. a big marijuana leaf yeah, on it. Scared the boomers and the old people. Well, not the boomers. The boomers should be for it. But, you know, but in the past, that's the, so the point is, why should I catch any flack at all? Right. And so I don't want to have that conversation. So every job of leadership in every legislature in Congress is to avoid that question from coming up. Now, is that the hill you want to die on? It's another goddamn thing. Yeah. Concept. That's the concept. Right. So the game theory of it is, yeah, no one cares. The legislature doesn't care about marijuana to, to, you know, make broad brunch. But in Texas, let me tell you, in Texas, people think, oh, Texas, religious, fundamentalist, whatever, conservative. They'll never. No, I'll tell you, since the. 2000s when i i've been in it for 20 years since the beginning the the majority of the legislature could care less about marijuana they're not motivated by it they're not scared of it everybody knows about it but no one takes the no one wants to take the vote right no one and and leadership's job is to keep that conversation from going to the floor where they'll have to take that tough vote okay and 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 reap whatever they have to reap in their so mind. everything's based on not having to vote on tough things to yes s- to the stick whole in your, structure that is the to goal keep getting funded a, yeah that's, well and that's the whole and, and you know not just funded but just so i don't have to spend more money right like if, the, if that bad negative ad shows up and everybody's mailbox i gotta spend twice as much money to counteract that ad you know so so it's it's there's a lot of elements to it it's not it's not as simple as oh money goes into the pocket in fact in some ways our government did a lot better when there was more overt corruption, like the old school Texas days, like this had dried up quite literally before I got involved. But like even in the late 90s, the Democrats still controlled Texas from the legislature. Right. And and it was still old school. And they actually did a lot of things that that governed and that the people wanted because they were paid real hard money cash by the people who really mattered. Like there used to be a thing called walking around money where at the end of a dinner, the it was a tradition. It was ceremonial by the end of it where the the legislator lifted up his plate at the end of dinner and there was some gas money. no it was called gas money okay and there was some gas money okay underneath the plate and, and whenever and then actually when the republicans took over in texas they were a little more you know stiff and conservative and uptight and they were they were coming from like a, a re- reactionary you know standpoint so uh, not only did the alcohol go away but the funny money went away and then things got a lot more serious. And frankly, it, it got a lot more politicized. It got more, a lot more symbolic. And so some of those basic governing things couldn't happen anymore because 
you know, they just, it just changed the, I don't know. If this it's is almost like Vegas, Vegas sense. going, it's like Vegas going corporate when the yes. mob was out of Vegas. It, it becomes Vegas a little more so. evil in some ways, right? It, they, the, it's like less human. The, yeah, like the Jimmy said it when the I, actu yeah. actuaries to to learn about degenerates instead the of just going the, up their yeah. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. The ma yeah, the mafia was the human touch, is how Jimmy put it when I brought that <laughs> up. He's like, they were it. the human touch of Vegas, and <laughs> and that's now, it. yeah, th that's why that's why everything seems like oh, wow, that's creepy shit. Um, we've lost that human touch and that's where my point is corruption's never going away right and so the only thing we could do is make the corruption local all right give local local governments both state and local enough power to where they can be corrupted properly again instead of the corruption being at such an esoteric where it's just vatican's and kings doing all the corruption let me you know give me a shot at the local corrupt sheriff uh um because at least i can play in that that smaller pond okay a am i making sense or is that do you now do you think in terms in terms of local corruption do you think yes. like so you say never never have a scenario where sheriff joe arpaio can bring steven seagal to drive a tank into some guy's house <laughs> on loan from baton rouge again is that what you're doing <laughs> Now that's some local-ass corruption. It's getting harder. We want Seagal as the point man on this chicken fighting ring that isn't even a chicken <laughs> fighting ring. But, but now that was a classic guy like that. But but now that it's moved away from the local, more pedestrian, and frankly, you know, more overt corruption, it's become national. Like, it, we don't... It, it, it's the cathedrals gain more power as a result. It's become... Now it's getting... It's, you know what's becoming? It's becoming the kind of corruption... Way back when, when I was in college, and somebody showed me Alex, it was my first heard of Alex Jones. I've never been a fan of Alex Jones. And I rolled my eyes at this video, too, at the time. I still kind of do, but when he invaded the uh, the bushes, uh, that retreat they go to with the fucking Hall of the Mountain King playing on the, it's like a stage play, the cremation of care ceremony. You know what Bohemian about? Grove. Bohemian Grove. And at the time, with a, was, with a film crew, with a film crew. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll I'll go. Ahead. Well, here's here's what I thought at the time when I saw it. I was pretty young, and I was like, when I saw it, I was like, I thought this Satan party is going to be like less corny and more of a Satan party. And this is just like, you know, back then you would call stuff gay. I wouldn't do it now, but like, this is so fucking <laughs> corny as shit, dude. And uh, it it then I like I was like, you know what? It's like probably these people are so high level at this thing. The only way they can do coke and fuck whores is they all got to put on a robe and burn a wooden man together and like it's not like just you know a, a poor fun where you just fuck in the street <laughs> like they, they can't do that like if george bush wants to bang a hooker he's got to meet up with uh, whoever the hell else from ge and they got to fucking wear a robe and then you know like skull and bones with in yale and all those like yeah. it's like a frat thing. frat thing and the more the more like Vaticanize as you put it, it gets. It's like you. That's how those, you know. It's like a a frat. That's how these frats yeah. get more and more bizarre and esoteric. And uh, now and and so that was like uh, the World War Two generation whores and coke play camp. And then that was like an Epstein was like the one for boomers, like Clinton and Clinton age people. Like you don't get our fuck island, Dad. Like <laughs> this ain't your dad's Bohemian Grove. This is wild. <laughs> But uh, I mean, if and that's now they go to problem. Burning Man. Yeah, and yeah, right. And you go to Burning Man. No, I mean, I think that's where the tech deals and a bunch of other huge things. That's there. Yeah, yeah, was was Bohemian Grove originally like a I don't know like a horse whipping buggy innovation uh, 
yeah, it was like a, a festival well, or something well, for middle management. Yeah, it, it went well. It was the intellectual uh, started by some journalists, um, you know, in the nineteen uh, twenties or teens, and it was, you know, and and the elite started partying in the woods and you know throwing on robes and 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 the the my funniest or my favorite Bohemian Grove story is when Cheney went to Bohemian Grove. Now the his job, what he got assigned in the the Bush camp was all right. You figure out who's going to be vice president. And so it was coming out of that weekend. He decided, I got the perfect candidate. He smoked DMT and had a revelation. Something something was going on. He had a revelation. He was staring into the burning care. Is that in the movie? The movie with uh, Christian Bale? Do they have that part? He goes, I realized the best. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know if they include that element, but it's one of my favorite moments in political. And what did George Bush say? My W. He was like, that's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, um, well, I, it's a long story, but I, I always thought it'd be a funny, um, and there was a, there was a, I don't know how to communicate this, but um, a, a funny sketch of right at the time of George W, um, you know, sitting down and, you know, kind of a campfire, you get in the sense that it's at the dad, kind of a G pop that, that father and son conversation, he's struggling because mm. everybody's calling him stupid or whatever. And then as the camera goes back, you start to realize, you know, or at the end of their conversation, they zip up the road and put on the hood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, a oh, this takes me back to my college days at Dartmouth or fucking wherever the fuck you go. And, you know, you got to stick your dick in the skull of uh, Sacagawea, <laughs> whatever the fuck yeah. they make you do. Geronimo, yeah, yeah, we have Geronimo. All right, skull. three minutes in the coffin. <laughs> you got to go three minutes in a coffin. <laughs> well, then what I figure happens is wherever rich and famous people party, that's a good spot to go set up to do your blackmail operations and what have you. Hey, everybody needs a moment to relax and let their hair down, right? And so that's what the elites—they lay their hair down and and you know. It's like anything else. Once you've got enough money, you got enough power. What, where are you getting your? You know, you have to go deeper and bigger. And well, uh, we had Whitney Webb on uh, Jimmy's show a couple uh, yesterday, the day before. Want to hear something fucking crazy? I mean, <laughs> like really eerie. I got a. F- I don't know if we should even play the clip, but it was Whitney Webb talking about Ron Brown. Do you remember who Ron Brown was? Yeah, he jumped out of a helicopter after shooting himself in the back of the head. No, 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 no. He. <laughs> um. Well, I just mean who he was before that, because this is before the Commerce Secretary. And he was also the chairman of the DNC. And I remember him from when W was in, just vaguely. Now, I don't remember all those things, but I remember he was the head of DNC, and he was, like, against the Republicans. And I remember pundits at the time didn't like Ron Brown. And then he became Commerce Secretary, right? Yeah, and right. and um, he died in a plane crash in Croatia. And uh, and he was, like, some... And so I didn't know this other stuff about but what I remember was I thought helicopter too. I thought that too. It's not helicopter, yeah, but that's how I vaguely remembered it. And I remember Ann Coulter said something like shitty about him after, like right after he died, like, Oh good. He's fucking dead or something like that. Not that I think she was involved, but she said some like mean comment. How, right. And there was a big controversy. Like, how could you say that about Ron Brown? And he just, died. so then nine 11 happened and we're like, who nobody give a shit. Okay. So I just remember that name. So, uh, a little while later, I'm working with Kyle Dunnigan, and um, he, he's from Connecticut, and his dad was a lawyer. And he's telling me a story of uh, how his dad, he had a law practice, and he kind of got pushed out of it by the firm, something vaguely like that. I might be mangling it. 
I might be slandering the whole, but he, he, uh, he went off on his own. It was like kind of a, a bet to go off on his own. And he landed the lawsuit in the Ron Brown crash. I think Kyle told me helicopter too, by the way, that's how much he doesn't remember it, but his I dad had helicopter. Yeah. His and so what Kyle told me was for lawyers like that, like that was like the golden goose that hell. He kept saying helicopter is a plane full of thirty uh, commerce fucking law people that were vital to a, with all all died in Croatia in this thing, and the settlement was fucking enormous because of this faulty navigational system. Okay, um, this he told me before I watched the web thing, and I was like, oh wow, and he he, he got like. He made like a couple million or something. He made like a really nice chunk of whatever his percentage was of the massive settlement. And then he immediately got like brain cancer or a tumor suddenly at a strangely young age and died like almost right after. I was like, wow, all the luck. And uh, Kyle was telling me, you know, and, and I was like, wow, that's wild. I remember that guy, Ron Brown, kind of like, that's a crazy thing. Your dad. So then I'm watching this Whitney Webb fucking video. I'm looking up Whitney Webb, uh, Ron, the strange case of Ron Brown. It's fucking weird, man. Well, I guess Ron Brown was like a, you know, a typical, he looks like Lando Calrissian is what she said. He did kind of, and he was some kind of, they were trying to make it. So there's some called that Republicans called China gate at the time, but exactly. it was, uh, yeah. L'Oreal corporation, sun microsystems, but it was really this Riotti family from Indonesia that was more behind it. And, um, anyway, uh, Ron Brown was trying to get it so like weapons technologies were under the jurisdiction of the commerce department yes. so they could like give them to foreign countries that are hostile yes. to us. China. This is part of China. Yeah. Clinton and that was probably. back when China was like the new like Japan taking over, you know, kind of. And then, so uh, he got caught up in something and he was going to testify against somebody. And on the day when it was before, they were like, hey, we need you to go to Croatia suddenly, which is like a thing he would not be asked to do. And him and 30 other people that would have power to regulate shit like that all die in the crash. He's found with a very strange hole in his head, which if you look up on Wikipedia, it was ruled to be just like he hit his head really hard and it made a hole that looks like a bullet hole that has fragments <laughs> of a bullet in it. <laughs> Again, quits studies is the navigational guy. The guy who's wearing the navigation was found dead with a gunshot wound to his chest of suicide by shooting his own chest. Well, you, don't, guy, you don't want to go out in a crash. What if you break your legs and you're just not dead yet? So better to end it on the plane while you're in mid flight. He hit his thinking. head. Maybe he talked to Ron. They had a pack. Don't try to blame the vaccine for this. Now, God. <laughs> so wait. So he, uh, uh, I'm watching them like this is the craziest shit I've ever. I'm like fucking Kyle's. And then shit, another thing I heard her talking about was uh, Kroll Inc., which is a. It's called the CIA of Wall Street. Nick, you know about that? Yeah. Are they? Lo they're not lobbyists. They're like a, a fixer firm. They're a fixer firm. Nick Kroll's father. Yes, it's yeah. Nick Kroll's fucking dad. You know what his one of their big jobs was was uh, cover, doing shit for Weinstein uh, just when Me Too was about to come out, like trying to destroy evidence and all that kind of shit. That's what Nick Kroll's dad's company does. Yeah, where they ended so, up hiring contracting Black Cube too to go Black ahead and Cube? jump in on that. It's uh, an Israeli firm that uh, it's another you know, private intelligence agency. Yeah. yeah, that's really that's where the money is. Private intelligence. Yeah. So Bosnia in the China uh, part of this, not only was Ron Brown 
part of that at the time. So the Clinton Clinton was really do, lift, doing a lot of heavy lifting for China at the time. Right. And and, uh, you know, that's where and this is how small, t- you, you know, he basically my summation is that he sold uh, for for campaign contributions, et cetera. He he basically put his finger on every scale to allow major weapons and technology transfers into China and also created the last 20 years. No man is more responsible for the 20 year boom of China. Kurt, you earlier, you said, you know, China was coming on the world stage. It, it really wasn't. It was when they entered the WTO. That's when, because oh. the next thing was going to be NAFTA. My dad is a fashioner distributor and NAFTA happened and suddenly his warehouse went from American nuts and bolts to Mexican nuts and bolts for like a hot minute. And then, before he blinked, his whole warehouse was full of Chinese nuts and bolts. Okay. China wow. eclipsed what NAFTA was going to be. And wow. Anyway, yes. And the, the and the reason why they got into the WTO and started getting all that favorable fa- trade and then green light for all that capital to flow in, it was on the 10th anniversary of Tiananmen Square. So, so it was coming up. Should we vote to let them into the WTO? And everybody was, no, Tiananmen Square, we're starting to talk about it again. And it was really, that was what the coverage was. And that was the issue. And then their embassy in Bosnia was bombed accidentally, coincidentally, by the United States government. Okay. And suddenly the whole world had sympathy for China and it erased the Tiananmen Square. Because wasn't that bullshit also Tiananmen Square? What? The story about Tiananmen Square is largely bullshit. Well, because I don't of the know. WikiLeaks. I mean, so well, 2011, yeah, 2011 WikiLeaks had the diplomatic cables that said the. This is a here's a real fun. Uh, who's telling me this? Jackson Hinkle. Um, and I was like looking this shit up. So, uh, you know, I thought a guy got run over by a tank is what I remember. Some students wanted democracy, and the Chinese rolled a tank. It was just my vague recollection from the Billy Joel song of when I was a kid. And there's a poster of the guy standing, standing. I, what I assume was he got run over after that, but no, the tank went around him. He didn't get run over. They pulled but him away. I didn't, yeah. yeah, I didn't know the diplomatic cable, but they always show the picture like he's about to get run over. To have it in your head, he's gonna, he got run over. Guys, I got another, uh, take a quick break right now to tell you about YoDelta.com. Is it YoDelta.com? Yes, it is YoDelta.com. From the makers of Yo Kratom, my other friends that sponsor the show. There's Yo Delta. Now, let me tell you a little story. I was recently in uh, Point Pleasant, New Jersey, playing Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club uh, because my mother lives in uh, near the area. And uh, I go and see my mom. And I don't know if you know this about Jersey. They have legalization, but they're real weird with it. They really are. And the area I was at, they didn't have no place you could, they didn't know dispensary. So what the hell are you going to do? Can't find any weed. I haven't lived there for years in that area. You think I got hookups to get weed? You could get Delta 8 there. That's what you could get. Now, I, I don't know if you live in a place like that, but a lot of people do. And if I lived in a place where I couldn't just go get weed and I had to get Delta 8, I'll tell you where I get my Delta 8 from YoDelta.com. That's the only Delta 8 I've ever enjoyed. I prefer the gummy uh, variety of it. But they got it in all kinds of ways. They got vapes. They got a, a Delta 8 flower. It's the part that gets you high of the weed, unlike the CBD, which I guess gets you sleepy and your muscles relax. Uh, anyway, if you're over the age of 21, living in the majority of states where Delta 8 is legal, which is the majority of states, unlike marijuana, 
uh, go to YoDelta.com, the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. If you use promo code GAS, you're going to get 25% off. Once more, that's promo code GAS for 25% off YoDelta, home of the Delta 8 that will get you super high. I, 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 I like the gummies myself. Yo, Delta. Okay, back to the show. I, I, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The diplomatic cables that WikiLeaks put out in 2011. I didn't know about this until very recently. I never read WikiLeaks. All the U.S. diplomats were like, the Chinese government's not being violent to them. The protest was over. Some guy died, some local Chinese politician who I don't know if he's like a Bernie Sanders figure to them, but it was a rally to restore like communism to be more like his way. These people liked him, and it was not. But there's NGO activity there, of course, who was trying to rile it up into a regime change. And you know who it was? And he's not allowed there no more? Uh, George Soros. And Nancy that's what Pelosi. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's she why Soros. on the ground in Tiananmen Square that, for that whole thing with oh. a couple other people. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Well, anyway, I did, the Soros thing blew my mind because... Uh, He's the one the conservatives hate and the Democrats like because he funds all their shit, right? The Democrat, he's like, there's him and Sam Bankman Fried are the top. Uh, well, finance. there's no doubt that was untapped money to be made, right? We witnessed it over the last 20 years. You know, China coming online was enormous. And what gave them the sympathy to, that removed the Tiananmen Square was we actually bombed their embassy? Bombed, we bombed their embassy. Accidentally. Now, if it, it was with a smart bomb, and if you know how a smart bomb works, or the way I've been told it works, I don't know. But but is you have a laser on the ground, you're pointing it at the embassy. So they had to see those Chinese flags. So it was on purpose. I mean, it sure was helpful to that conversation. The excuse they're like, listen, we should have got an Asian time. to work our smart bomb, but we didn't. I, and next I was, time <laughs> I, I was watching it in real time being a, a policy nerd. Right. That's the only perspective oh. I have. Okay. I was just watching the news and I'm like, there's no way they're getting in the WTO. I know Clinton wants this, but there's, you know, again, card carrying Clinton hater and, you know, and, and, and I'm like, there's no way Clinton's going to get his way on this deal. And then the bombing happened and they suddenly, I, it totally changed the mood. It totally changed the tone and, and the way the politicians worked it. And then when they, once they got in the WTO, it was game over. I also have an interesting Joe Trippy conversation I had one time about Bosnia. Okay. Really fascinating. And this is total hearsay in the sense that I heard it from Joe Trippy, which who was, do you remember who that is? No, he's, he's dead now as most people with these type of, that have these type of conversations are, but, but um, I was who's at that? South by South by Southwest and I ran into him and um, it, he was, talking, he? okay. So Joe Trippy was, the first internet campaign. Okay. He, he, he was the, um, he was a political consultant and I guess it was for Clinton. It was the first time he leveraged the internet. And so he was like, you know, one of these campaign geniuses, kind of like a Carl Rove. Type oh, figure. okay. Okay. He, and his, his big, you know, he got a lot of credit for like using this internet thing and, you know, for politics. And so he was, he was, oh, you know what he used? It was the Dean campaign he ran. Oh. He ran Dean's campaign, and that's when he got credit for leveraging, you know. People, the, people powered Howard? Is that it, his it, campaign? It, it, exactly. Who? Which, by the way, one scream and Aleppo all over again. I mean, like, you know. Does whatever, that make what, sense? That scream? That, Does that make sense that that scream was what ended him? Is that what ended him, you think? It makes no sense, but that's that was the narrative. I mean, mm -hmm. we the, the, Dean had that thing. He was the anti-war candidate. 
Okay. Mm. And then Carrie got it because he screamed at a pep rally. Yeah. Well, how did they make that happen? I mean, how did Aleppo, you know, that again, that was the, like an Aleppo type moment where one candidate gets erased in a new one news cycle and they're out of the thing because of wait, what do you mean Aleppo type moment? Oh, what does I, that mean? I keep bringing it up Gary Johnson. Um, Oh, because so you Gary, know where Aleppo was? Yeah, in the primary, he had his, you know, they were, the media was kind of building him up and giving him a lot of love. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Oh, boy. They're paying attention. This is going to be fun to watch because I've seen this movie before. And then uh, after that, they're like, well, what about Aleppo? And he's like, he thought it was an acronym. And he's thinking to himself and like, and he goes, what, what's Aleppo? Like, remind me. And they're like, oh, my God. You don't know what Aleppo oh. was. Didn't you get the new word list? I mean, you know, that's six weeks old to our earlier point, you know, and and that was that drummed him out of the whole primary. No, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. It was it, a Dean scream. It was the same technique. Okay. Yeah, right. So Joe Trippy was Dean's campaign manager, which was a big insurgency campaign, anti-war. I remember it. John Kerry, right? So, yeah. So, so but he, before that, he was in the Clinton administration. And he was part of the group that was brokering the Bosnia situation before we started bombing Bosnia. Should we, we? Yeah, we had. And he says, he says, because I how it came up in another context. But basically, this was like, here, kid, here's how things work. Speech he was given, giving me. He's like, I was there in Bosnia with Milosevic on the other side. We had cut a deal. They were going to like, you know. They, they were going to carve up the, everything. There wasn't going to have to be a war. We had cut, a, we had an inked peace agreement. Okay. Or at least a verbal one handshake. Okay. He got on a plane, flew back to America, was in DC. He went to bed. Think he drank champagne, you know, with his colleagues. And it was like, you know, we just avoided a war. We just cut the biggest deal of the century. He goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning and on CNN, we're going to war with Bosnia. And he's like, what? How, how did that happen? I mean, I was literally just cut this deal and he called back the administration and he's like, what the hell's happening? Why are we, why are we bombing Bosnia? Why are we proceeding with this war? And they said, Oh yeah, we didn't think he was going to agree. So it was already in motion. They're like, yeah, we weren't really planning on him. We didn't think he'd accept those terms. That wasn't the, that wasn't the well, goal. We're going to ruin the whole war just because one guy doesn't want to fight it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. I never heard that story. That's a wild fucking story, man. It was told to me in a hallway by Joe Trippy himself. Who's the, you know, he was there. He saw it. He was, re, you know, relaying it to me. What did he die of? I know I wasn't there. I don't a broken know. Heart. No, <laughs> what did he die of? <laughs> I don't know. But it wow. was just a, yeah. And it was, and he was telling it to me in the look kid, you know, it's a weird world. I don't quite understand it. Look at how crazy things, you know, happen. Wow. That is, uh, I mean, it sounds like every other story before war I've ever heard, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it. Yeah. Kind of, again. <laughs> it's like they lost Ho Chi Minh's letter. <laughs> My dearest United States, I don't want to fight. <laughs> like, burn this shit. Whoopsie. Our boys will not be in any foreign wars. Vote for me. Or the Taliban oh. offering Osama bin Laden to us. I don't, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a weird one. Yeah, yeah, once we get it going, we're not going to turn it. Or, or let's go back. Ho Chi Minh saying, look, I'm not really communist, guys. Yeah. I think it's a, I, it's not, they're not really selling me on it. How about you back me? Yeah, no, I know. Is that crazy? It was just, oh, we lost the letter before then. Yeah. Oops. 
didn't well, get those cables. I mean, they probably it's probably that Ho Chi Minh's letter is guaranteed in the same spot as the original recording of the moon landing, which they also lost or recorded. Wait, Ho Chi Minh's letter I thought was found or something, and you could read it. I, I I've read about this recently, Ho Chi Minh. That thing about the letter I knew about. That's like I know about that from regular history, not any kind of fringe thing. Right. Same as Gulf of Tonkin. I, that, and, and they're like, oh, if only, what if they had gotten the letter? If only they had gotten it. If the cables like, would have came through to Pearl Harbor, you know, different history. Yeah, there's a lot of those with all these wars of, uh, <laughs> it turns out I didn't have to do it. You know what's wild in Fredericksburg, Texas? There is, uh, Admiral Nimitz is from there. Okay, it's right outside of Austin, about an hour and a half. And they have a, a World War II museum. And this blew me away. I'm sitting in the, you know, they're talking about the lead up to the war and they have a whole section of Japan negotiating with America to avoid war. There was a whole long conversation and I had no idea. I mean, you know, this didn't come out in the history books that Japan was going, look, if you don't give us oil, you're putting us in a really bad spot here where you're making us desperate. And there yeah, were actually right. peace negotiations before Pearl Harbor. The way I always understood Pearl Harbor is like, Oh, out of nowhere, they just got crazy and hit us. Yeah, right. Goes. I always wondered about them. Like, why did they just, why did they think that was going to work? Yeah. <laughs> like, what a strange idea that I guess that they'd take out all the fleet. It was like a desperation thing. It was totally um, desperate. I always think about all my like black comic friends that would for years always like, they always want to put a black man in a dress. They always just say that like a, almost conspiratorially, you know, Chappelle said it. Bunch of people. Uh, Godfrey was the one who said to me on Razor, they always want to put a black man in a dress. And I was like, you know, I'd be like, I don't know, Godfrey. I don't think nobody twisted Flip Wilson's arm or Jamie Foxx on Living Color. I think he came with that character on his own to the show and uh, couldn't wait. And also in prison, it ain't like you guys don't fucking go for it. So I don't know about that. Well, not only do they want that, they want to put everybody in a fucking dress that they possibly can. <laughs> And now they go after nerds They're like these incels. We got to like, never mind black guys. Now the enemy is like these like white guys that can't get laid. Those are too manly and toxic. I was like, wow. I first they came for the black guys and I did nothing. <laughs> but it's my favorite thing is that the new terror is incel terror <laughs> guys who aren't like, what do they have boobs and can't get laid? <laughs> like, can they love video games? Like, can we make some kind of pussy bomb to drop on them to, to alleviate this terrorism? <laughs> it's just like when there's neighbor. not a good war. It's really funny watching the reboots of enemies or like trying to boot up Russia. Like, I give a shit about Russia again. I mean, it's it, it's I compare them to MCU movies now. The the like, listen, Thanos was good. You don't have no more Thanos. Is it's all like nonsense things now. I'm not excited by Putin as a, you know, in the 90s, we had some good ones, man. Saddam Hussein's a classic. Guy's great. You uh, can't look at that little Koki Smurf in Ukraine as any sort of hero. Right? Who's Koki like, Smurf? The Zelensky, the tiny little oh, oh. puppet guy. I thought it was the last name of an official Koka Smurf. <laughs> we, we could we could run with that. But with no, a Y. A tiny little cocaine addict. He's and, a cocaine uh, addict? Have you not seen all of those clips where his pupils are giant? He's like licking the camera. And he's no. got... Dude, no. you remember, do you remember when Amber Heard did blow in court? Remember that? I don't think she was doing blow. Okay. I've got... 
I've got stills. on the stand. My listen, friend, I got stills. My look, you did. She's she, got she could have done it in the bathroom out when the drip hits, bro. She said, like, there's a whole it's it's okay. Wild. But as a guy who's done a lot of drugs, I can't imagine. I can imagine doing it before I'm sitting there. Me too. I'm saying I can imagine having to blow my nose because I did it in the bathroom, I guess. But I can't imagine it's experience cokehead going for I'll, it like that. I'll send you the I'll go dig it up. After the show, I'll send you the thing. You, I, as, as, uh, wait, so what uh, is on this? What is on this? Well, okay, you know what? Let's play this, uh, gross thing that you sent me. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I mean, if you got, hey, if you got nostril and cocoa in it, uh, let me see, but wait, uh, Becca, let's play this thing. So, this is a real thing, uh, for of a, a new, uh, amazing, uh, you could maybe lobby for this, Aaron, if you play your cards right. <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, this is a, a a concept, but I guess they actually have the warehouses and they okay. have a lot of the stuff. And I'll going bet on. you, I'll bet you, I mean, even though this is gross, I'll bet you it's a fucking scam already. Because once the, it's like a video game when they just show you CGI and they don't show you the product, you know, it's going to be right? a fucking scam. That's what I bet, but it is still very creepy. All right, first play. first artificial womb facility powered entirely by renewable energy. Life allows a fertile couple to conceive a baby and become the true biological parents of their own. Turn up. It's a perfect solution for women who had their uterus surgically removed due to cancer or other complications. With Ectolife, premature births and C-sections will be a thing of the past. Ectolife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many others. The facility features 75 highly equipped labs. Each state-of-the-art lab can accommodate up to 400 growth pods or artificial wombs. Every pod is designed to replicate the exact conditions that exist inside the mother's uterus. I'm calling BS. They wouldn't have the caution tape. <laughs> Something about this seems fucking phony. Now they wouldn't make it so creepy. So the guy who runs the company and the guy who's responsible for it also makes like sci-fi movies, but he's been, they've been on this for five years. There's yeah. What a, I was, what I was going to say is this could be, um, like a, this looks like a, a, like almost like a scam. Like um, not that like not that it's a fake advertisement, but it looks like there's two things. One, it sounds like a sci-fi response to all the videos you see about population to clap, uh, uh, collapse coming. You know, from your Peter Z. You say guy Peter Zihan. You know who that is? Oh yeah. So I just saw him recently. I guess he wrote a book about like the end of globalism. So I see him pop up on shit all the time now. And other people I talk to were like, "Hey, you ever see this guy Peter Zihan?" I watch him. I'm like, "Where the fuck did he come from?" And I'm and like he'll have shit that's like half kind of interesting information, and then part of it I'm like, "This is odd." He used to work for Stratfor. You know Stratfor? Mm -hmm. That's what he is. And what I realize is a bunch of these guys around. I don't. They're not like lobbyists. They're like, like you know, Robin D'Angelo, the the white fragility lady. Yeah. She's a fucking con, like a, basically she's got a con, like an a a academic con of corporations to do her stupid white fragility training. All these people I know were given the book. The company probably paid for copies. 
I don't know of anyone who read it. I know I have a bunch of people who have it. Don't know anyone who read it. Almost like a Bible. Because uh, if you read it, it's fucking insane, by the way. It's not even as sane as the Bible. And uh, she, it's a, you know, there's a cottage industry of this. Of That's the new thing is to go to corporations, some nonsense buzzwords and sell them on their employees have to take it so you don't get sued because you're racist. And even if you probably are racist. <laughs> so uh, Peter Zihan is that of, I think, foreign policy shit. Like uh, he's like an, an analyst. That's what he is, a global political analyst. And I think he's like, he worked for Stratford. So he gets like, you know, he has half interesting insights, half is just his predictions. A, a, a part of it just his predictions and then the other part is like he'll say the right propaganda such as like ukraine you know russia was not provoked and they just did this on their own or whatever he throws that in and it's very well produced his videos for youtube videos so i think that's his hustle and that and his prognostications you know then like government people listen to him i mean if you work for strat for another shit you're like probably plugged into a whole circle right like for sure what it like when you actually go to lobby, what is it you have to do, by the way, Aaron? In in what sense? I mean, like uh, as a lobbyist, who are you lobbying so, for? Look, so so I I rep I'm a trade association lobbyist. So I represent an an industry, and I'm a state lobbyist. So I primarily work in state, although we do work on the federal level. And I've been lobbying often on the federal side um, for the last twenty years. And I've had two clients. One was the city, and now a trade association. So. What's different for me than what's like a hired, I'm not a hired gun. A hired gun's a professional, a lobbyist that just takes multiple clients, whatever, you know, client mm -hmm. works in. And so I work for like quite literally a nonprofit. Um, and uh, although it's, you know, it's not a charity, it's protecting an industry. Um, mm. And and so my basic job is to, in a legislative process, promote bills we like and try to kill bills we don't like. And right. Now, do, how does it get to the point where, and I've seen this over and over again, where like the lobbyist literally writes the bill for them and then they just sign it. Is that like, oh, we, no, we, yeah, the, no, the, all bills are written by lobbyists or stakeholders. I mean, it could just be a group of what's a stakeholder. Uh, a stakeholder is just someone that has an interest on a given topic. Right? Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, it could be, you know, mothers against drunk driving or whatever. And, you know, so like, <laughs> The act of some outsider writing the bill is not as nefarious as the legislator not reading the bill or understanding it. Uh, right? That's what so, I think. I think I mean, that. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. That's so I'm like, why they don't read nothing? Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I mean, we save them all uh, and everybody a lot of time. And we're, I mean, it's hard to write legislation, get it right. And, and yeah. as a trade association or like when I was with a city, what I like about my job, it's like, I'm not just some you know, someone pay me a bunch of money and just go get the sentence in the statute, you know, and just shove it in there. I actually have like a mini government that I work for. Like we have committees and mm. there's a board and, you know, so it's kind of like the sausage gets made and then we present it and then other stakeholders show right. up and they're like, Oh no, you can't do that. That's going to screw up my thing. But it's oh, still okay. like some kind of uh people. There's still like compromise and discussion and it's not just some fucking that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all come. And, and that's where like, you know, uh, kind of pulling the camera back from your basic question. Like when people talk about campaign finance or all these things, you know, there is competition, right? There's a, there are competing interests and that's a healthy thing, you mm -hmm. know? And, and that's where I'm always advocating for more people to have more lobbyists in the mix, you know, and everybody right. should be a lobbyist, right? We need citizens lobbyists. Like if I, 
you know, when I'm ready to retire or if I had, you know, FU money or whatever, I would literally be a citizen's lobbyist. Like, okay, guys, no one is paying attention to this, but it affects all of us. Like, yeah, right. Someone's got to push back against these sugar quotas. Sugar's costing too much money because the small groups over here doing something that we don't feel or care about. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so, and that's what happens if, when that keeps happening over and over again, everybody gets their little niche, you, you know, that's where we end up kind of, you know, death by a thousand cuts in terms of a society. Right. That's why they didn't like fucking Jimmy, by the way, force the vote is, uh, <laughs> just reminded me that it's like a guy who's not in the, uh, it's the same as like someone reading the Bible in English. <laughs> it's not, yeah. it shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, no, that's it. I mean, no, that, that's, yeah. that's 100% it. There's a know? right way and a wrong way, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, let's not talk about what really goes on around here. And, yeah. and I think we need to. I think we need to educate, you know, and again, I'm proud of what I do for a living. I'm not ashamed. I don't run away from the term lobbyist. I mean, it's, right. Well, it shouldn't know, in and of itself be a thing, but if you don't know what it is, then it's spooky. And then yeah. you, that leads well, like, in the interest a lot of people keep laws. Like you know, and like, well, how do you think laws change, right? People have to show up and communicate, you know, and, and, Kurt, you know, you're going to have, there are laws that affect the way you do business, you know, and well, you and, don't have to um, tell me. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, listen, I so, get laid. I just want to tell Homeland security. <laughs> I get laid a lot, dude. So don't yeah. put me on the incel list. And so everybody has a lobbyist. They don't know it. They're probably a trade association person like me, right? Like the florist has a lobbyist. It's not a nefarious group of people. It's florist making sure that they can keep the lights on and that government doesn't screw with them. And then of course my libertarian critique is if I work myself, if society works me out of a job, then great. That means, you know, as long as government's not screwing anything up, they don't need to hire anybody to show up and go, guys, you're about to put me out of business with your dumb idea. I mean, that's yeah. That's that hill you want to die on shit with the uh, <laughs> yeah. weed thing. Cause yeah. wouldn't there be a weed law? Like, so I advertise Kratom on my show. Yeah. And I know in one state they made it illegal. Like want to say Georgia possibly. And it was uh, because the, the company that makes Oxycontin or whoever, a bunch of them were, were pro lobbying hard to make it illegal. And there's also yeah. a Kratom lobby that kept it from being illegal federally. Like a guy told me at a... Yeah, uh, that's how that happens. Shop. They would have made like, it illegal. There's a Kratom lobby? Where's the weed lobby? Well, and that's just, it's remarkable. So the story in Texas, and it's a long story, so I don't think I can tell the whole thing, especially with, I don't want to monopolize this, but, but people don't understand uh, the... So I, I tried to reach out to Marijuana Policy Project years ago because like 20 years ago, I was in a criminal jurisprudence, which is the committee. There's a committee system, right? That's where they figure out what the bills need to say. And then if they voted out a committee, that's a big deal. Then there's another step where leadership in every legislature kills what it doesn't want. To, the conversation needs to stop here. And the next place is the floor where people vote on things, right? And and so, but this bill... Um, well, I, I sat and watched the most conservative member of the legislature vote for a marijuana decriminalization bill, basically 20 years ago. Okay. Which guy was that again? Uh, which person? Yeah. Who which was one? that? Oh, it was a lady. She's since retired Debbie Riddle, but she, her big, you know, mark on, on our statutes was to put God in the pledge that we have a pledge in Texas, uh, like a, a pledge, pledge to, allegiance. to allegiance to Texas. We do. We do. What is yeah. it? Um, very much like the Pledge of Allegiance to America. It's just a little derivative of it, but it like didn't the, have God in it and it needed it. And she got it in there, but she also voted to basically decriminalize marijuana after being persuaded at the committee level. So that's oh. the point I knew that's the point. And it was peer to peer persuasion. It's not like she heard something that, you know, okay. But, do you think there's an aspect here too, by the way, of, um, 
I was thinking about this way back when I heard Portugal like legalize all drugs or, you know, people say legalize all their drugs. All right. And I was always like legalize weed because I did it. I remember being like, but you know, okay. All the drugs, like what are you going to legalize? Like uh meth and heroin. And then, uh, and then after I thought that thought, you can't do that. Uh, I took a fucking uh, Adderall and then I took an Oxycontin to take the edge off the Adderall. <laughs> Like you can't just legalize meth and heroin. <laughs> like, so what I, I just occurred to me the other day. You took meth uh, and heroin. That's right. And I'm like, okay, so this is a moot question because we did do that. It's just, we said, hey, let a trusted monopoly formulate it in a way where they can profit. All. None of this to me is about the substances. It's about who makes money. Is it going to be big pharma or the cartels, or as I call them, small pharma? And right. we don't want these mom and pop billion that's, dollar Mexican. That's all it is. Yeah, it, it's not but, it's not what drugs you're on, it's whose drugs you're on. And that's the end of it. Yeah. Well, and so so yeah. so and and on marijuana, there's at least all, all I can tell you is the on the ground perspective of Texas over 20 years. Okay. I can't mm -hmm. tell you who's doing what at the federal level on this issue because I haven't seen it. But the p only people that show up that will show their face to testify against a marijuana bill in the Texas legislature in a committee hearing are the sheriff's association. Right. Sometimes at the last minute, the chief's association will talk a little shit because there's, there's money. Well, I'd explain the motivations on this and this has, I have no, uh, not seen this in Texas, but I know in New York, the corrections union, not the private yeah, no, prisons, not the private prison owners. No, the correction officers union. Yes, the I union. Knew, yeah. and, 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 and in New York, it got hilarious because they when they decriminalized in New York City, in upstate New York, where they have the prisons, they were literally showing up and saying, well, you're removing our heritage. Like our heritage is warehousing black men from <laughs> New York City. And I'm like, whoa, as a Southerner, let me tell you, that's Dude, not a to good say heritage choice. is yeah. really, yeah. Like, that's, that's really something. Yeah. We Literally. know it's our heritage. It sucks. <laughs> and so what? Uh, granddaddy locked them up. Uh, my father locked them up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, do you yeah. think it's possible that there's going to be at some point in some states a fucking Delta 8 lobby trying to keep marijuana illegal? A well, CD and Delta 8 lobby that wants no marijuana to be legal. That's why I've always been against medical. I understand the necessity of it strategically. And Marijuana Policy Project was a big brainchild behind it. Um, mm -hmm. I give them most of the credit in California. I mean, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago, whenever that was, they said, no, let's go medical incrementalism. And ultimately, their theory is proving out. But there's a lot of bumps in the road because the first thing, the medical medical delays, the recreational conversation traditionally by mo several years because you create incumbents and people that have the monopoly and 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 we've created that dynamic here in texas because we yeah. have medical it's not real medical but you know we're technically green on the on the 50 map but but back to the psychology of the the way this works is that so i knew no one cares and people can be persuaded on marijuana they just you know and there was a there was a path and 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 again this the reason why the sheriff's union shows up it's all money okay i mean i know no shocker there but they get their, a lot of their boys with toys is what I call it. They get their toys. The way they buy their toys is through through marijuana prohibition. Okay, because one increases their units to get you know it, they get so many collars and that increases their score to get 
federal funding. Okay. And then on seizures, when they do asset forfeiture, they get all that and they get to buy their SWAT team in the middle of Sticksville. I mean, Uvalde was the only county in Texas or uh, that, that doesn't have a SWAT team. Okay. Well, they they, they all, seem unusually I mean, just, incompetent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Stickville places have SWAT teams because it is DEA money. But here's the thing, what they do with the seizure that's, uh, that cracks me up is that the DEA. So if you were a sheriff, and you, you know, I seizured your SUV with the spinner spinning wheels on it. Right. And, and I, I, I can't, I auction that off and I have a pile of cash. If I take that cash that belongs to the state or the County, depending on where you're at. So it's going to go to the County commissioner's court or the legislature is going to decide what to do with it. Well, that's not cool. I want that money. I want all of it. And the DEA figured this out around the country and they, and the DEA said, if you give it to us, we will take 10%. And then we will send it back to you in a grant minus the 10%. And it is no longer the state or city, the county's money. And it is now federal dollars and you legally can't, the state and the county cannot touch it. They launder the money through the DEA. They wash it and make it into federal money that then the sheriff can directly benefit from and go buy their new SWAT unit. Wow. And then they have a great SWAT unit. They get their Rambo van and they can take pictures in front of it. Now, finally, our department can be used as a prank force for autistic people in Internet forums. (laughs) I mean, but I love the poetry of the DEA creating a money laundering scheme so that local governments, state governments can't get access to this. I will say this about California legalizing going full wreck. It destroyed all of the small and medium farmers in most of the traditional growing communities. California really fucked up. So I bring this up a lot, but the impression I get like back when like Evan Boehner became a fucking pot dealer is they're like a, what they want is to, because I have a buddy in New York who does weed delivery and on the down low works with city people because they're thinking about, I guess they're legalizing and there's all these weed deliveries in New York, you know, like half baked and shit. And, uh, and they get violent too. Like I remember I was surprised when, uh, he had to get one of his buddies came home from Iraq to be a bodyguard and shit because, uh, people were getting stabbed up by the other delivery service. I was like over weed. And he goes, what? No, over money. You idiot. <laughs> like, obviously, well, I just smoke it, so I don't know all what goes into it. But the it seems like they want to make sure it's like I was saying with Adderall and uh, OxyContin. It's like okay to legalize this, we want to make sure there's a large company that monopolizes this first. That's yeah, in league with me, a politician, and anything we. C- so in California, for example, they made it like they made illegal weed more. Now it's bigger than legal weed, which I don't even know where you get illegal weed here, but I guess that's to do with growing. You have to break the law mm-hmm. to meet the amount you need to be legal. Yeah, it sounds only, fucking crazy is what it sounds like. So, yeah, you have to be able to compete with the hedge fund grow ops. You, you can't do you have to be able to pass three to four stages of testing. It has been regulated and regulated and re-regulated. Uh, there's, um, uh, it's, it, it's so you think that's, um, the competing gray market, oh. I'm sorry, the gray market that we had under medical, that was fantastic because people could actually do, you know, have a small, I guess a small business, um, run it successfully, pay their bills, maybe take a vacation a year, like anybody else who just wanted to freaking live and work. 
And all of that went away the moment they went full rec. Mm. I want, uh, it's not, not, it's not the full rec though. I think, I think it's the, the nuts and bolts of, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was written by, uh, the hedge funds, the, the John Boehner that you were talking about, those kind of people. It was written by, uh, a, the tobacco lobbyists had a lot. Well, that's do. the other thing. Boehner. All these other drugs, and that, you know, like beer or whatever would lobby against it or whatever. And and I think it, has, it was like, well, we got all these regulations on us, but they're just going to come in with weed and not have all the same problems we have to pay for. You well, know, that like that's not fair. A couple major tobacco companies, they bought about a total of 12 million acres in California that was farmable land. It was because to grow what? In, weed? Yeah, they were anticipating this. Oh, so everybody's investments. It's like the war can't has to go forward because we already put all the investment into it. Too bad you got a peace treaty. <laughs> we already got all the investment and the potential of this to be this. So too bad if it doesn't work. That's what it is. So the biggest interest is the winner is what we've learned today. All right. Well, so that's how the Vatican works, kids. I'm going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> that was great, Aaron. I really appreciate you coming on, man, because that is a really interesting way you put it to me that I had never thought of before. And uh, especially when you think how Catholic it is, because people always talk about like it's the Jews or some nonsense, and it it doesn't follow a Jewish model at all. It follows an old school medieval Vatican model, which is mind blowing to me. Um, anyway, we guys got to promote anything. You got any lobbying to promote? Aaron? You got any big lobbying coming up? <laughs> I didn't think this would come up, but I do have a distillery. Oh, that's right. You uh, gave me some liquor. Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, this is a uh, Cal Dunnigan's favorite. I think I hope I'm not speeding to say that, but this is the cafecito. This is the coffee. Liqueur oh, yeah. Drinking. With the oatmeal. He innovated the oatmeal uh, milk with it or the oatmeal. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have. I still got some bottles that you gave me, dude, that I'm yeah. going to have the next yeah. day after party. Yeah. So, uh, but, but you can get it in California on a, there's a group called Spirit Hub. Okay. Um, and, um, and so if you're interested and you can get spirits from all around the country from little guys like us and places far yeah, away. Right. Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, Steve, uh, what do you got going on besides pot? Well, just tell everybody your stuff that they can catch you out on. Oh, sure. Uh, all of the social medias are at slow Newsday show. You can find me Monday through Friday on Rockfin and rumble, uh, on AM wake up with my buddy pasta Jardula. Uh, 7 to 10 Pacific, um, Slow News Day. My other show is every Sunday at 10 on the West Coast. Um, and uh, I'm frequently on Union of the Unwanted with uh, Sam Tripoli and uh, Charlie Robinson, Midnight Mike and Ricky Grandis. Um, yeah, kinds of good shit. All right, cool. And uh, you guys, uh, I'm Jimmy Doy Show and Kyle Dunnigan Show. And uh, if you're in the California area, I'm doing in January, I'm with Louie doing whatever dates he's doing. I don't remember where they are, but it's in January. So if you're going to see Louie, I'm on those shows. Uh, that's can't get right. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Stephen and Aaron. That was uh, very illuminating. I appreciate it. Um, all right, that's the show. Because I can't get right. Because I can't get right.